2 Thessalonians 2, 13 through 17. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. To this he called you through our gospel, so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and gave us eternal comfort and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish them in every good work and word. Last week we saw from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 that Paul's concern for the church in that city was very personal, very practical, very heart-oriented, experience-oriented. The specific problem was that they were shaken, according to verse 2. They were shaken and they were alarmed. They were losing their stability and their firmness and their composure. They were off balance in their minds and their hearts. And we all have those experiences. I had one this week and I had to use this text that I was going to preach on today to bring myself back into equilibrium and and, uh, forthrightness in regard to what lay before me. Now, Paul's first approach to helping these people who've lost their balance is to teach them something that would dislodge the error that had taken root, which was bearing this alien fruit of uh, shakenness. And the error that they were falling prey to was that the day of the Lord was at hand, was was there. And he said, no, that's not true. And then in accord with Jesus' teaching, in verses 3 to 12, he taught them that first the apostasy must come and then the man of lawlessness must appear. And these haven't appeared on the scene yet, and so you know the day of the Lord is in the hand. So he tries to uproot the error that they had fallen prey to that was getting them all out of whack and causing them to lose their their mental equilibrium and their emotional stability. The, The text ended in verses 11 and 12 with a horrifying prospect for the last day in which God himself, as it were, gives people up or confirms people in their own delusion. Let me read for you verse 12. Therefore, God sends upon them a strong delusion to make them believe what is false so that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now, that's where the text ended last week. And so the question arose in my mind, does that kind of talk stabilize people? Does it steady them? And make them firm and composed? The answer is, Paul isn't finished talking yet. In verses 3 to 12, he's doing something, as it were, negative. He's dislodging an error from their minds that has sunk its roots into their thoughts and is bearing an alien fruit of instability. 
And he goes at that root and dislodges it with some teaching that changes their whole picture of the end. But now, in verses 13 following, he wants to put in the place of that error something different, something positive. And this is at root what will stabilize them and make them firm and strong and regain their balance and equilibrium in the days that are coming. Look at verse 15, for example. It begins with this important connector, so then, or therefore, brethren, stand firm. So as soon as you hear that that phrase, stand firm, you know he has in mind still the instability and the shakenness of verse 2, right? His whole concern right on through to verse 15 is, how can I firm up these people? How can I get them back on the rock? How can I get their feet on the ground and their mind composed and their emotions back together again? Verse 15 makes it plain. He's still on that wavelength. Be firm, he says. Now, what is it that Paul says will give this stability, this firmness, this calmness and composure that God intends for his people to have? The next phrase puts it in general terms. Stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught by us, either by word of mouth or by letter. So what's his answer? Well, when circumstances are alarming you, when winds of error are blowing you and making you lose your sense of balance so that you don't know quite what to believe, when circumstances have your emotions all in a turmoil so that you feel like you don't know which way to go or how to act, he says, hold on to something. Grasp it. And specifically, he says, the traditions that I've taught you. In other words, the apostolic teachings. Now, this week in the news, we were provided with the best illustration God could have possibly provided of holding on. Henry Dempsey, you heard on the news or read in the paper, saw on TV, was flying his 15-passenger Beechcraft 99-prop jet from from, uh, Lewiston, Maine to uh, Boston over the Atlantic Ocean, 4,000 feet in the air. And he hears this noise in the back of the plane. It's empty. Nobody's there. And he turns the controls over to his co-pilot and he walks back and all of a sudden the plane hits some turbulence. He bangs against the door and it falls open. And he falls out part way. And he grabs on to something. I said, wow, what a perfect illustration. This is it. This is it, Lord. And he held on. You know what the news said. Uh, The co-pilot thought he was gone into the Atlantic Ocean and uh, diverted his course, landed about 15 minutes later at a nearby airport. His face was 12 inches off the runway as they landed with his open stairs at the back, and they had to pry his fingers off of that rod. Now, uh, I want you to see in this illustration what I think Paul has in mind when it comes to holding fast to the apostolic traditions here in verse 15. Henry Dempsey held on with a kind of grip that said everything 
Absolutely everything in my life depends on this grip and whether this rod will hold. The wind and the suction and the gravity and the noise that swirled around him and tried to pull him to destruction in the Atlantic Ocean was not as serious as the wind and the swirling and the gravity and the noise of the mystery of lawlessness that swirls around us already in the world and threatens to pull us not to the Atlantic Ocean, but to hell itself. And there is a cable. There is a rod to hold on to. Now, I want you to suppose with me that uh, what he held on to as he hung partway out of the plane was not a rod, but a cable. I don't know what it was, but let's suppose it was a cable, about an inch around. And this cable has six steel strands that make it up. My question then becomes, what are the six steel strands of apostolic tradition that are in the cable of hope in this text that Paul says, regain your firmness, hold it. In verses 13 to 14, there are six steel strands in the apostolic tradition which were taught. And verse 15 begins with, therefore, or so then. So I'm assuming that the, that the traditions he wants us to hold on to and that the firmness that we can get is found in verses 13 and 14. And what I want to do in the remaining 15 or 20 minutes is describe for you six steel strands in the cable of hope which you can hold on to and not plunge to destruction in hell. Strand number one, the love of God. Verse 13, let's read it. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. Now, I don't think Paul has in mind here mainly the general love of God with which he corporately loves the world, holding the universe in being, causing it to rain on the just and the unjust and the sun to rise on the good and the evil, spreading the gospel around the world over radio stations and through missionaries, and showing manifold tokens of His grace to all the nations of the world. I don't think that's what he has in mind here. I think he has in mind the particular distinguishing personal love of God that saved the Thessalonians. In other words, the first steel strand, and I think it's the, it's the middle strand that runs right through this cable, is the active, powerful, pursuing, saving love of God that tracks you down in your rebellion until you are exhausted and fall flat on your face. He covers you and saves you. That's the love of God that I think is being spoken of here. And to know yourself loved by God with a personal, distinguishing, particular, effectual, unbreakable, eternal love is to have hold of a cable that is absolutely unbreakable no matter what winds whistle around you. The second strand 
in the cable of hope is the truth of election. Reading on in verse 13, But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you. This is why I believe the love of God is not the general love of God shown to the whole world corporately, but the particular distinguishing love of God by which he chose them for himself. Out of all the sinners in Macedonia, none of whom deserve to be saved. He chose them. They are the elect of God. Now, how does he know that? Well, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll see what he said to them. It's a remarkable parallel to this text. The same sequence of thought, of thanksgiving, love, election. But here he tells how he knows that they are among the elect. In verse 2, he's thanking God for the Thessalonians when he thinks about their work of faith and labor of love and their endurance of hope. But the root cause of his gratitude is found there in verse 4. For we know, brethren, beloved by God, that he has chosen you, or that you are elect, or your election. Notice, just like in verse 13 of 2 Thessalonians 2, beloved of God, you're chosen. Now, how does he know that? Next verse, verse 5. We know it, he says, for or because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with joy inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you know if somebody is elect? How do you know if you are elect? How you respond when the gospel is preached. Do you welcome it as the word of God? Do you believe it? Does your heart engage with Christ in joy as you take the cable of the gospel? Do you stand in persecution? And do you imitate the apostles' godliness? It's the response to the gospel that lets a person know if they are among the elect of God. And so the, the second strand, steel strand in the cable is God's election, God's choice of the Thessalonians. And I urge you, along with the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, be zealous, brothers and sisters, to make your calling and election sure by the way you respond to the gospel and live it out. Strand number three in this unbreakable cable of hope is salvation. In verse 13, or as verse 14 calls it, glorification. Let's read it again. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you from the beginning to be saved. 
or unto salvation. Now notice carefully, salvation in this verse is not past in their experience. It is future. There is a salvation that we have not yet experienced and will experience someday. That's what's being spoken of here. And you can know that it is by looking at the next phrase. God chose you to be saved, it says, through or by sanctification. Now, what is sanctification? Very simple definition for this big theological word. Sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming holy. Sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming holy. If then we are going to be saved through sanctification, where is salvation? If you get to Tennessee from Georgia by going through a tunnel, which side of the tunnel is Tennessee on? It's over there, on the other side. And so is salvation on the other side of sanctification in this verse. Now, that's not the only way the Bible talks about salvation. But here, salvation is future, and it is through sanctification. Now, what is salvation then? Well, salvation, according to verse 14, is what? It's the glory of God, or inheriting or obtaining the glory of Jesus Christ. To this you were called through our gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what's lying out there future for us, obtaining the glory of Jesus Christ. So the third steel strand in the cable of hope is that God's beloved and God's elect are destined for glory. Isn't that exactly what Paul said in Romans 8? Those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. The salvation that we anticipate out there is glory. Hold it fast. No matter what afflictions you experience, hold it fast. Didn't Paul say in Romans 8, I count the afflictions and the sufferings of this world not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Strand number four in the cable of hope. Sanctification by the Spirit. At the end of verse 13, Paul says, God chose you to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit. Oh, this is so important. There is a holiness without which you will not be saved. There is a measure of sanctification without which you will not enter heaven. There's a new book just published called No Holiness, No Heaven. That's a good title. It's biblical through and through. You see what the implication is when it says we are going to be saved through sanctification, it means there is a road to heaven and there is one road to heaven. It is the Calvary road of 
holiness, progressing holiness. If you try to move off that road and claim something that you did once upon in your life to get you to heaven, but take another route of worldliness, you won't get saved. You won't make it to heaven. You will not be glorified. You will go to hell. God chose us to be saved through sanctification, and there is no other tunnel to Tennessee. You know, we don't exalt works when we say that. Sanctification is not by John Piper. Sanctification is not by works. Sanctification is by what in this text? The Holy Spirit. What we do when we say this is exalt the ministry of the Holy Spirit as indispensable in the life of the believer. We are sanctified by the Spirit. That, of course, raises the question, what are are we supposed to do? God loves, God chooses, God saves, God sanctifies by the Spirit. What am I supposed to do? Read on. Next phrase. God chose us from the beginning to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. You are the believer. You believe this morning. What is this belief that saves here? You remember last week where we wound up? Verse 10 says that some are going to perish because they refuse to receive a love for the truth and so be saved. And we defined saving faith last week so that it necessarily and essentially includes love for the truth. Saving faith is such a banking on the truth of God that it loves the truth of God. It is not um, a noble, high estimation of the cable. That's a nice cable. Yes, that's a good cable. That cable would hold you. It is not a paying tribute to the cable once a week in worship, in church. Hail cable, hail cable. Nobody gets saved when the door falls open if they just believe the cable. Saving faith is holding the cable. That means loving the cable, kissing the cable, embracing the cable, not just paying the cable a token, passing compliment in your life and living as though everything else in the world were more important than the cable. You know... We're at a point here in the message where it becomes crystal clear that sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth are not parallel tracks that lead to glory. They are one. Belief in the truth is the power of the Holy Spirit to sanctify. The means that the Holy Spirit uses to sanctify and purify your life is saving faith in the truth. Now, you can all see this in an instant if you get in the plane with Henry Dempsey. Here we are. The door has fallen open. 
He has been sucked part way out. He grasps the cable and holds on with all his might in what I would call saving faith. That's saving faith. Not, hi, Cale. Nice cable. You're holy. You're nice. You're good. But holding it. That's saving faith. Now, here he is, hanging upside down, 4,000 feet above the Atlantic. And all of a sudden, his wallet comes loose. And it opens, catches on his button. And his cards start to fall out. His cards are falling out. And then this little part opens and $100 bills that he was going to spend in Boston, they start falling into the Atlantic Ocean. Now you tell me, what would he do and what would he feel? You know what he'd do. Nothing. Except hold on. Hold on to the cable. And what would he feel? There wouldn't be a time before or a time after when he would feel more freedom from the love of money. Now, does that help you understand how saving faith sanctifies? This is so important. God helped them understand that there's no road to glory but sanctification. And it is not added to saving faith. It is in Saving faith, the power of sanctification is in saving faith. When there is one cable between you and the Atlantic Ocean, it consumes everything. Your money, your sex life, your family life, your professional life, your leisure life is revolutionized by the cable that you hold on to. You see it? Saving faith is the power to become holy. And the problem in evangelicalism today is that we have so redefined faith as to justify worldliness that the church is going to hell all over the place. Oh, I hope you see from this text that you are chosen to be saved through sanctification, which is achieved not by works being added to saving faith, but because saving faith loves the truth, holds it, it is more precious to me than air, than life. If you love Christ, you will keep His commandments. And if it's not works, well, our time is up and I have, I have two more, don't I? Um, and I'm only going to mention them and then conclude with a very urgent invitation. The two remaining strands in the cable of hope are found in verse 14, and they are the call of God and the gospel. You see that? To this end, he called you through our gospel. And I will accept the Lord's rebuke that I have not adjusted this message so as to unfold those two for you. Let me sum up and just at least put them in order that they happen and let this be the summary of the message. God, number one, 
loved the Thessalonian church before the world was made. And they didn't deserve it at all. And out of the freedom of his love, he chose them out of all the sinners in Macedonia for himself. And to bring them to himself, he sent them Paul with the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ crucified for sinners like them and like us. And through the preaching of the gospel, the fourth strand, they were called effectually overpoweringly to the Son of God. And as a result of their call, they took hold of the cable and believed. You want to read about their belief? Just go back and read chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians and you'll see what saving faith is. They got the cable and the winds of persecution are beating them to smithereens. And Paul says, he's making you worthy. He's sanctifying you. Don't let go. They knew they were elect because they didn't let go. And then he sanctified them. And someday they're going to attain glory at the coming of the Lord. And this morning I want to tell you and offer you, you can be there with them. I I have extended to you a cable of hope this morning. I hold it out for you. One end is in the mind of God in that eternity and the other end is in the mind of God in that eternity. And it's yours. All you have to do this morning is feel the desperateness that is really yours and grab it by faith. Is it not the case that God has touched some of you this morning who are outside Christ and have not tasted yet the love of that cable and the trust in it that I've been talking about? And is not then God at work in your heart to draw you to Himself? Put your hand on the cable this morning. Oh God in heaven, I pray that every believer in this service would find new strength for their weak, new stability because of the wonderful strands of steel in the cable of hope in these two verses. May they memorize these verses and preach these verses to themselves and so find great power to live for you. And show us tonight when we gather what a life is like when we've got hold of the cable. And Lord, if there are some, and I'm sure there are, who came into this service outside Christ with their hands in their pockets and not on the cable, may they let goods and kindred go this mortal life also and take the cable. And all God's people said, Amen.